as we live our lives, it's, it's kind of like we, it's one disconnected event after another. I mean, one random event kind of tumbles to the next random event. And as we look at it, we really don't see how these things are interconnected and intertwined. It's almost, it's the difference between looking at snapshots and watching a movie. Or one of the neat things about uh, some of the new phone cameras and even now some of the new digital SLRs is that you can actually take a panoramic shot. You can literally start on one side and just turn and you get a huge vista in front of you. This was pretty neat when I went to Israel and was able to capture some pictures, especially around the Dead Sea. Man, that was awesome. Or to, to capture, to stand up on the Mount of Olives and to be able to span and capture the, the whole of uh, Jerusalem. It was just a neat, neat experience. But what we see and what we experience are, are more like snapshots. Just little images here and there that don't seem to have any pattern. But if somehow we were able to, you know, step up out of where we live on a daily basis and we were able just just for a few moments to view things from God's perspective, to see things as He does, then we would never think about life the same way. Again, we would never think about those disconnected moments, those detached images, those things that don't seem, we'd never think about it like that again. Because we would immediately come to the recognition that God actually does have a plan. And he does have a purpose. And even though we, we say it and, and, and we believe it to a certain extent, in the midst of our daily lives, it's hard to see life like that. It's one random event, tumbling to the next, tumbling to the next. And we have to keep going back to Romans eight twenty eight, which reminds us that we know all, in all things that, that God works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Because when you're in the middle of it, when the dark clouds have rolled in, when the valley has gotten really, really scary, when the prognosis from the doctor is not what you wanted, when you start looking at the bills that are accumulating and you also see what's in your checking account, when that depression rolls over you like a cloud, it's hard to acknowledge this because it seems that all is lost, that we've got nothing to hold to, nothing to cling to, nothing that's solid, and that maybe God's taken a nap. But what we see, if we will embrace it from Scripture, is the reality that none of these things are truly random events. And sometimes we view Scripture like this. We open our Bibles, and in the morning, maybe we have a little devotional time. Some of you have that, a quiet time, a devotional time. Some have it at morning, some have it at night. Some catch it in the middle of the day. Really, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm glad you have one. But for a lot of us, our devotional time may consist of a, uh, something on your, your phone, your, an app on your phone, or it may be something on your iPad or computer. Or it may be uh, a little devotional book, and there are a lot of great devotional books out there. Currently, I'm using uh, an A.W. Tozer devotional, and, and that's, that's helpful for me. But typically, these devotionals give you a little portion of Scripture, and then they give you maybe a b- couple of brief comments on that Scripture, and then it gives you kind of a thought for the day, and you pray, and you kind of go out with a sliver of biblical wisdom, and you feel like, man, I'm ready to encounter whatever the day has to hold. And 
I'm not putting that down because, hey, I use that too. The problem is that we're also viewing God's word as just a snapshot. Just, just this little bit of sliver of biblical wisdom. And, and sometimes God is really, really gracious and merciful to us. And that is, we, we go out and we get in the midst of our day. And we didn't know what we were going to encounter. We didn't know what we were going to face. But we get in the midst of our day and that very scripture, that very thought comes back and we go, that is what I needed for today. That, that you know, that's like a, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of energy and I often, and I discover a spiritual protein bar. Or in my case, a donut. <laughs> and it's just what I needed at just the right time. And we go, wow, what a coincidence. And that's not a coincidence either. Remember, there's nothing coincidental and there's nothing random when it comes to the life of a believer. But there are times when you and I need to take a, a bigger view of, of Scripture. We need, to, we need to kind of step up here and recognize that what we've read, that little sliver of biblical wisdom, that's not all that there is. That little sliver is set within a larger context, and that is set within a larger context, and that is set within a larger context. Because even what we're reading... What we're reading, it may be from Paul, or it may be from James or Peter, or it may be something that Moses wrote, or, or King David, it may be any of those things. And, and as we're reading those, and we're getting that little bit of information, it fits into God's overall scheme, God's overall plan. Because even though that book, God's Word, even though this thing was written over a period of hundreds of years, and even though it was written by over 40 authors, do you know that this is one story with one author, one person who was guiding and inspiring those who wrote down the words, who, whose personalities come out? But it was God who was behind it Oh, why? Because he's got one story he wants to get across. And, and you know what that story's about? It's a story about God's love and his infinite mercy towards fallen mankind. We stumble across Adam and Eve in the very first part of the book, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We stumble across Adam and Eve and we look at them and we go, they were stupid. They had it all and they lost it. And for the rest of the Bible, it's God unveiling his plan to recapture the hearts of lost mankind. And when we get to the end and we look in Revelation and we see that around the throne of God are myriads of people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands of people from every tribe and every language and every people group who are around the throne and they're singing praises to God and we go well, how did we get from here to here? Well, the reason we got from the front to the back and we finished with such a flourish so that the writer, John, is able to, to pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready to get to this part, that's what he's saying. How did we do that? Because God got it, the whole thing. This is his story. It's a love story. That he's given to us. And so, now why do I say that as I stand before the Lord's Supper table for us? Because in a few moments, I'm going to read a little portion of Scripture. It's all I can read this morning. But I want you to understand there's a larger context to that, that the people that Jesus was speaking to, they didn't get it. 
They didn't quite understand what he was trying to say. And, and I want us to see that this morning in that larger context. If you have your Bibles, and this is too much scripture to put up here on the screen, and so here's the reference. It's in John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 50. Uh, I've got 59. I don't know which, I don't know where I typed it wrong, but I typed it wrong one of the places. So we'll stop at either 58 or 59. So if you've got your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to open it with me uh, to John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, don't worry, it'll be there when you get home this afternoon. You can check it out. Feel free to use a Bible app, your iPad, your iPhone, your Android phone, whatever kind of phone that you have. Uh, feel free to utilize that as well. But I, I want you to hear what God's Word says in, uh, in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, beginning with the uh, 25th verse. And when they found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, that is the Sea of Galilee, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it is, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread, bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us flesh to eat? And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus was speaking primarily, I would say probably exclusively, to a Jewish audience. And so his mention of Moses, the wilderness, of manna, that would have struck a chord. I mean, that is something that these folks had heard from infancy. It is the stories that they told around a campfire. It is the stories that they heard in synagogue and in the temple. It is stories that were passed on from father to child, grandfather to grandchild, grandmother to grandchild. These were the stories that they told. This was their life. This shaped who they were as a people. It was one of the the high holy days and the most memorable events in their history. This was the deliverance out of Egypt, the deliverance out of bondage, and God's care for them, provision for them in the wilderness for 40 years in a place that was most often barren and desolate. God cared for them. How did he care for them? He cared for them by giving them water, by giving them meat. But what they wanted to remember and what they remembered most was manna. What was manna? Manna was this miraculous food that God gave them. You know, I was in uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was a religion student there. That is not the safest place to be a religion student. There were no evangelical Christians on staff at all as a professor at all. And so we kind of you know, we'd go to class and then our FCA group would get together and, oh, 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 these big smart professors and they're teaching us all this stuff and what are we going to do? And I was so glad that I got involved in a small group there, which is, yes, it's a commercial for getting involved in a small group here because as a small, in a small group there, we began to talk about it and we began to say, what do we need in order to, to grow in our faith so that we can be equipped and prepared to be, engage the world and not to be afraid of the world? And we began to meet some pastors and leaders and theologians and, and professors who actually believed in Jesus Christ in spite of what all was going on in the school. And there were professors, not just, they may not have been in the religion department, but they were in the science department. They were geologists and biologists and chemists, and they loved Jesus. They began to invest themselves in our lives and communicate with us and challenge us and encourage us, and and we made us stronger in our faith. But we would be told things like, there aren't really any miracles in the Bible. Anything that you see there, if it's true at all, there was a natural explanation for it. 
And so the Nile River turning red, running red with blood, that wasn't turning red, running red with blood. There was some kind of, some kind of uh, uh, red algae, you know, like the stuff that's hitting Florida and the Gulf Coast, right? Something like that that got in the river and turned it red. Or, or, or maybe, I don't know if you saw the, the, uh, the recent, fairly recent movie, uh, Christian Bale was playing Moses and and so the Nile River turned red because these giant crocodiles, I don't know, came and started eating people and it was actually blood, but it was their blood. Why do people have to stretch stuff like that? So we were told that this man in the wilderness, no, this is that kind of lichen stuff that appears on rocks, you know, that, that stuff that grows on the south side of rocks and they were just eating that and they called that bread from heaven. And I'm thinking... There must have been a lot of that stuff because there was a lot of people and people get hungry. And I'm here on Wednesday mornings most of the time for the men's prayer breakfast. And I brought in some little stuff I'd scraped off rocks. That ain't going to cut mustard. Where are my biscuits? No, God provided every day, six days a week on the Sabbath, on, which was their Saturday, on their Sabbath, there wasn't any, but God gave them enough on Friday to cover for it. And every day they went out and they ate, listen, they ate as much as they wanted and they could keep it all day long and they could make bread out of it and they could make soup out of it and they probably couldn't make T-bones out of it, but you know, they, it, was, it was food and it sustained them in the wilderness and God kept them for 40 years. And so when they're hearing this, this, this they know this story. We've been told this story. And then, if you, if you were to back up, because I said you don't want to just take a sliver of Scripture, if you back up all the way to the first part of chapter 6, we find Jesus with a crowd of, it says 5,000 men, which means there could be as many as 20,000 people there. Men, women, children. Maybe as many as 20,000 people there. And Jesus looks at him and he says, we need to feed these people. And his disciples, it, it's, it's kind of funny because his disciples take different approaches, but they end up at the same place. It's Philip, I believe it's Philip, that he, he looks at it and he's, he's the accountant. And he's going, um, no, can't do that. Take a year's wages to, to pay for all these people. And I just recently checked and we don't have that much. And uh, Andrew, Andrew takes a different approach. Andrew's like, okay, let's get this thing done. He's the go-getter. So he's going out and he's saying, okay, hey, anybody bring any food? Anybody got a snack, lunch, anything? You pick up a Happy Meal from McDonald's, anything, anything. What do you got? And he finds one little boy that had brought a picnic lunch. Five loaves, barley loaves, small loaves. Not, not big things like we think of as a loaf of bread, but I mean just this little, looks like, kind of like a rock. Five barley loaves and two dried fish. And Jesus takes that and he feeds perhaps 20,000 people, at minimum 5,000 people. And here's the neat thing. They didn't just go, well, okay, hey, listen, it's like this little piece of bread right here. Okay, listen, I know this is less than an inch, but could you break this off and maybe take a crumb and share it with the person next to you? It wasn't that at all. When they got finished, it says, if you don't believe me, go back and read it. It's all in chapter 6. That Jesus sent the disciples out to collect what was left, the leftovers. And it's really interesting because the terminology says, not, in the NIV it says that nothing should be wasted. 
the actual term is nothing should be lost. There's a spiritual significance to this as well because you remember Jesus saying, I will lose none of those that the Father gave me. So even go out and pick up the bread. That's symbolic. I'm going to lose nothing that God has provided. And they go out and they collect 12 baskets of leftovers. And the disciples must be going, uh, what in the world? What's going on here? We started out with five loaves and two fish. We ended up with 12 basketfuls of bread. And so the people, they're thinking, this Jesus, he's another Moses. We have got it made for the next 40 years. We don't have to go out there. We don't have to plant stuff. We don't have to harvest stuff. We just come find where Jesus is and be like the little bird in the nest. Ah. Just open up. Ah. Get, feed, feed me, feed me. So I, I'll, I'll fast forward because there's a, there's a miraculous Jesus walking on the, on the sea, of Gal, sea of Galilee that takes place between that event and what we just read now. But uh, Jesus Jesus and his disciples end up in Capernaum, which is kind of the, it's on the northern part of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is there with his disciples. Uh, They've gone by boat. He walked most of the way um, on the water. And so he gets there and then the people show up. And they're, they're coming, not because they've been wild by his preaching, not because they've been convicted of their sin, They're coming for one reason and one reason only. Lunch. It's din-din time. Where's food? Jesus looks at them and he, he has no less compassion on them that day than he had the day before. But they were coming looking to have their physical needs met. And we already know that Jesus is not unconcerned, unsympathetic about physical needs. He had already fed them the day before. He had been healing people of diseases. He was very, very much concerned with the physical needs that people had. But he was more concerned with their deepest needs, their eternal needs, their spiritual needs. Because you remember, he already told them. The people in the wilderness, they ate manna and died. What I want to give you is eternal, and it leads to eternal life. And so Jesus, in his teaching, he pointed pointed backwards. He pointed backwards at what God had done in the past, how faithful God had been in the past, how God had cared for his people in the past. He He pointed backwards, but he also here points us forward. Did you get this? Because he goes even beyond the bread. He says, the bread is my flesh, and Am I, you need to eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. Now, if I were up here telling you that, you think this is the first church of cannibalism. And it was, really wasn't much easier for them to hear. Because honestly, and I want to cut them a little slack, they'd never heard of the communion table. Never heard of the Lord's Supper. They've never heard of a crucified and risen Savior. And they're having a hard time getting their minds wrapped around this. 
They're having a hard time embracing this because, listen, we only came for lunch. We didn't expect this. This isn't what we wanted. Could you water it down a little bit for us? Could you make it something a little bit simpler and then feed us? Because that's why we came all this way. And he was there in the synagogue in Capernaum. And this is pretty neat because I've actually been there. And then it's not a huge, massive building. But the people in Capernaum would have already known Jesus. This is kind of his home base. This is where Peter lived. And the people who came and got on boats and followed him over there, they knew, they knew about him. And, and they get there and they're like, I'm not getting this. It's not making a, a lot of sense to me. But it ought to make sense to you. We might cut them some slack for not understanding, but it ought to make sense to you. Because you've heard the rest of the story. You know that this Jesus who fed the masses on five loaves and two fishes, you know that this is the same Jesus who sat with his disciples in the upper room and took those elements of a Passover meal and gave them rich new meaning. The bread is my body. The wine is my blood. Take and eat. So Jesus not only pointed backwards, he not only pointed forwards to to this, he actually pointed us to the meaning. Now I want to tell you something. There's nothing special or supernatural about eating what's on this table. Not special, yes, but supernatural, miraculous, no. You can buy these at the grocery store. It's not like a special store where you have to go get special bread. This is unleavened bread. You can pick this up almost anywhere. The juice is Welch's. It's not like, ooh, that's special communion juice. Although I think for most people, Welch's is special communion juice. But it's not like you're going to eat this and it's going to save you. The Lord's Supper, sharing in the Lord's Supper, that doesn't save you. Sharing in Jesus, that saves you. And that's what the table points us to today. And we don't want to be like those people. We want to be able to, to grasp it. We want to be able to get it. We want to be able to understand it. We want to be able to embrace it. We want to be able to make this ours today. That it's more than just a ritual that we have every quarter or a little more. It's more than just an event that happens in a church. And oh my, look, I stumbled in today and, and they're having Lord's Supper. It's more than that. By the way, you're not here by accident. This points us to a Savior and to a salvation, and it celebrates that salvation. But listen, before we go, I want you to see this, because this wasn't in all of what I read, but I want you to see how they responded to what Jesus shared to them. And I will put these verses up on the screen, starting in verse 41 of chapter 6. As the, the Jews were there, and at this the Jews were there, began to grumble about him, Uh, Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can, how can he now say, I come down from heaven? In other words, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about physical bread to eat. I'm thinking about this physical Jesus. I'm not looking beyond what I can see and touch and feel and smell. That's it. That, that's as far as I can see. In verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Okay, we're not getting this. We, again, we came for lunch. This is not our, what we were thinking. Then if we skip down to verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I can't get my mind around this. I can't grasp this. Can I have the Reader's Digest condensed version? Can, I, can, can you dumb it down a little bit for me? I'm not getting this. And then perhaps the most tragic of the verses is verse 66. And I find this interesting because it's John chapter 6, verse 66. You got 666. But it says, from this time, many of his disciples... That's key. Think of that. Many of his disciples, not the 12, but many of those who said, I'm a follower of Jesus, who had identified themselves with Jesus. At this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Think about it. Jesus' popularity is just beginning to ascend. People are hearing about his miracles and hearing about his teaching and hearing about his authority. And people are starting to, to, to come around him. So much so that John's disciples go to, John the Baptist, go to him and say, hey, listen, you, you, the crowds are leaving you and going to Jesus. John says, hey, that's why I came. That's why I'm here. I, they need to go to Jesus. But here Jesus is. He, he's got this big crowd. People are coming from great distances in order to be where he is and to hear what he teaches and to just lay eyes on him. And it's like Jesus isn't playing for the crowd. Hey, listen, I'm not going to lose any the Father gives me, but I recognize that there are going to be some who turn their back and walk off because they didn't get lunch, because they didn't have their physical need met. Ultimately, Jesus didn't come just to heal. He didn't come just to feed. He didn't come just to teach. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. And nothing was getting him off that mission. No matter how big the crowds got, and no matter what they clamored for, nothing was taking him off that mission. And I thank God, and you should thank God, that nothing kept Jesus away from his mission because you were his mission. You are why he came. And because of what he did, we come here today. This is a symbol, a sign, a picture of God's great love and mercy that he would send his son to die for us on a cross to pay the price for our sin, to give himself fully that you and I might have life and have our deepest eternal need met. And when we come, when we come, it is an expression of our faith. 
In a few moments, you're going to have the bread in your hand. What will it be for you? Will it truly be, this is my body given for you? When you have the cup in your hand, what will it be? This is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is just a really small snack. It really doesn't have any impact on you. No, 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 makes no real difference. For you, it may be just like that. Hey, listen, I didn't come here to hear about it, Jesus who saves. I came here because I got problems. I got marriage problems. I got family problems. I got financial problems. And I just, I just wanted Mr. Fix-It to show up. I just wanted a fairy godmother who would just wave her wand and turn this pile of junk into something beautiful. How tragic it would be if all God did for us was to heal our bodies, meet our physical needs on a daily basis, and make us happy. It's Jesus himself who said, what does it profit a man, a woman, if he gains the whole world has everything this world could possibly offer and yet loses his soul. The biggest decision that you can make today is whether or not you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you haven't, I say this in all love, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. It's not going to help you one bit. What you need is exactly what the Bible tells us. To confess our sin, to repent, to turn away from it, and to start today to follow Jesus. And we've got people in this room right now who would love to help you do that. And so, here in a little bit, we're going to sing a song. And when we do, as we sing this song, we're going to ask you to respond to it. We're going to ask you to to come and and receive not bread and juice, but to come and receive Jesus. And for those of you who have made that commitment and you know that you belong to Jesus, you know that you are in Christ, then I want to encourage you, sing with all your heart, pray for those you know who don't need Jesus. But when the cup comes, when the bread comes, my prayer for you is that it will have more meaning that it will be more full and more rich than it has ever been before. That this will be an expression of your faith and a recognition of a God who loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. I'll ask our folks to come forward as we pray and prepare to sing this final song to allow you to respond.
Heavenly Father, we come right now in the name of Jesus, and I want to pray for those. I want to pray for those who don't know you, maybe even are far from you. I pray, Lord, that today something that was said or sung or a simple move of your spirit and a heart would, would challenge, would encourage, would draw. Your word says, G, G, the, the word we read this morning says that the people ask a question, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And your son Jesus responded, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. In other words, that's what's most needed. And so I pray for those who need Jesus. Lord, I also ask that for those of us who are in Christ, that this may be a sacred moment. That we would draw near. That we would know you in a way that we've never known you before. That we could celebrate the fact that we are in Christ, not only in this life, but we're with Christ forever. So, Lord, if there's a response that we need to make today to come to Christ, to turn from a habit of sin in our lives, to get right in a relationship with someone around us, or maybe, Lord, we've been distant from you and we need to get right with you. Whatever it is, Lord, that you're calling us to do, we want to respond. This is our time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.